Uh, good to see Brother Norm back up and around finally, doing much better, and uh, but do pray for him still. And uh, Then uh, right in the middle of singing, It Is Well With My Soul, I think it was, we saw Miss Florence come walking in. And what a joy that is to see her here this morning and answer to prayer right there. And uh, a true miracle. We thank the Lord for His answers to prayer. And they are precious and they're sweet. And I uh, certainly enjoyed to see her here today. And uh, good to see Miss Linda here and Miss Linda Craig. She gets signed off, or got signed off, I guess, this week on uh, everything, or getting signed off. Uh, everything's done well with her surgery and recovery. And we thank the Lord for the answers to prayer there uh, as well. And uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Not just what He does for us, but the fact that He saved us from our sins. And I don't know about you all, but when we sing some of the songs we sing and we start talking about what God's done for us, it's hard to contain it. It really is. If we really fully understand what He's done for us, it's hard sometimes to just hold in the emotion of that, the gratefulness, the, gratefulness, the, the gratitude of our hearts to Him about those things. And, and I believe that's when we get to the point where we're truly worshiping Him, when we get to the place where our heart just overflows. And we cannot help but lift our voices up and praise Him and give Him thanks for what He's done for us. And um, Titus, in Titus chapter 2, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself the peculiar people zealous of good works. And I'll about you, but uh, I'm looking forward to that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. I know the Bible tells us that every knee is going to bow. That's the greatness of our God. And uh, I'll tell you, my knees don't bow as easily as they used to as I get older. It's Well, let me rephrase that. They bow easily. They don't get back up easily. But it will be the greatest joy to be able to bow at His feet. To thank Him for what He's done for us. And I hope we don't ever lose the joy of what God has done for us. I hope we don't ever lose that. And uh, it ought to be the thing that motivates us. Paul said it was the love of Christ that constrained him and caused him to have the diligence, the fervency, because he loved his Savior so much. Paul got to the place where he said, I, I've had a lot of things in life. He said, I count them but dumb. I count them but lost. And I hope we can understand the magnitude of what God has done for us. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus has just finished being tempted by the devil. And uh, He has selected some of His disciples... And uh, in chapter 4, he begins his preaching ministry. And he preaches salvation. He preaches for men to repent and to come back to him. And uh, a lot of people gather around. He's preaching a message that many folks had never heard. And uh, was teaching things that some people had never heard of before. And so a multitude comes around him and... 
uh, after a little while, uh, he leaves. Uh, he leaves this multitude because he's done some miracles. He's done some things that have caused the multitudes to see what he's going to do next and to stay there with him. And so he leaves the multitude, and that's where we pick up reading in chapter 5 and verse number 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and was set. <coughs> his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Father, I pray that you'll bless the message this morning and speak to our hearts as we uh, begin to study uh, one of these wonderful messages that you've given to us. In Scripture, I pray that you would help your uh, your understanding, the light of your Holy Spirit, and the truth of this passage to be very clear. May we glean from it and learn from it the things that you would have us to, and that we would uh, become more of what we ought to be for you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter number five begins the message uh, of Scripture that Jesus uh, preaches. Uh, if you have a red-letter Bible, you'll find a lot of these verses are in red over the next three chapters. It's the longest message that Christ preached that we have a record of in Scripture. <clears throat> and uh, I will say this at the onset. Uh, he is not teaching in this particular message a message of salvation. Uh, he has taught salvation already uh, uh, before this point. Uh, if you'll look back in chapter 4 for a moment, and let's look at verse number 17. Jesus had uh, just uh, gotten, uh, gotten finished with um, his temptation that Satan uh, had put him through. And uh, in verse number 17, the Bible says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's an interesting verse, and I, I was uh, spending some time uh, reading these chapters this week at and kind of preparing some things and thinking through uh, some things. And I went back through the temptations. It's interesting to me that the third temptation that Satan gave to the Lord Jesus Christ was found in verse number 8 of chapter 4. The Bible says, Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the... What's this word here? Of the world. As I get down to verse number 17, we find that uh, he begins to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of... Heaven is at hand. And I believe there's a stark contrast given here. There's something that is, that is getting ready to be preached here that is contrary to what was the common idea or thought of the day. There, there was the kingdom of this world, which certainly Satan uh, had uh, some control over. And uh, I, we talked a little bit about some of that even in Sunday school today, the kingdoms of the world. But there is a worldly philosophy out there and Christ, when He came, He says, I'm going to teach you something that is the exact opposite of what the world would teach or what Satan would teach. And I think we need to understand this at the onset, that the Bible says between uh, Christ and Satan that there is enmity, is the word that is used. Uh, the idea that they are diametrically opposed. Uh, they, if you ever were, when you were a kid, played with magnets and you flipped them to where uh, they were the, the wrong direction and you tried to push them together, they would repel one another because they were so opposed to each other. And I would say this, that in a spiritual sense, the things of Satan and the things of God cannot and do not mix. They are opposite one of the other. And when the Lord Jesus Christ came on the scene, uh, when He started preaching repentance, He was 
teaching them that repentance was turning to Christ. Uh, they were dependent upon uh, their, their good works at this time. They were thinking, I can make my own way to heaven by keeping the law. Even the rich young ruler thought he could do it by doing those things. He had kept them from a youth. And Christ was coming on the scene to say, you, you need to have a change of thought. The change of thought is this, it's faith, not works. There's a turning. There's a repenting of the one way and into the other. And so we find that this, is, uh, this, this repentance is being preached by the Lord Jesus Christ now because the kingdom of God is at hand. This isn't the kingdom of the world that's coming about. This is the kingdom of God that's taking place. The kingdom of heaven here. Uh, the Bible says in verse number 17, there's something new here. Now, uh, we'll take some time one of these days, Lord willing, to preach specifically on the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. They're both used in the Scriptures. And uh, we will talk about some of the theological implications of some of those, uh, both of those phrases. But suffice to say at this point that there is a repentance of turning from the worldliness and the idea of, of uh, getting along according to the world versus turning to Christ. That Christ is now the way. He's on the scene. And He brings to bear, He brings to light the kingdom of heaven. And so in chapter 4, he, he, he basically there's a, a one-word um, sentence here, one-word message or preaching that he does in verse, uh, one, uh, excuse me, one sentence preaching that he does in verse 17. Probably the shortest message that the Lord ever preached that we have record of in Scripture is verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the idea being that men needed to trust Christ as their Savior. But it's important for you and I to understand this. That salvation does not only bring eternal life to us. But God saves us, not just to give us eternal life, but so that we will be His disciples also. And the, the Sermon on the Mount that we read, we're starting to read about in chapter number 5, is three chapters of our Scriptures that God is dealing with discipleship. He's dealing with, this is what God desires every Christian to, to be like. If you say, boy, I wonder how God wants me to live, start in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This is a foundation of what God would love to see in every Christian's life, and it ought to be the things that every Christian loves to pursue after. We may not always succeed at it, but it ought to be the desire of our heart as a fact that we are saved. So this thing is, I don't want us to get mixed up here. We don't do the things in chapters 5, 6, and 7 to become saved. Don't get that, that idea today. That's not what Christ is preaching here. He's not preaching salvation. He is preaching discipleship. And He's talking about this, and as He gets to verse number 1, or, the, or the, Matthew gets to verse number 1, He says, "...and seeing the multitudes..." He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Now, we see two types of people here. We're going to look at both types of people. And then we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. And Lord willing, over the next several weeks, we'll be going through chapter 5 as the Lord allows us to do that on Sunday mornings. And dealing with the Beatitudes and the similitudes and some of the other teachings that he gives during that time. And digging kind of deep into some of these things. But it's important for us to understand that there are two types of people here, and they are the same two types of people that exist today. The first group of people that we find are found in uh, verse number 25 of chapter 4. 
And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and from Decapolis and from Jerusalem and from Judea and from beyond Jordan. The first type of people are the multitudes. The multitudes. Now, the multitudes were folks that, to be real frank with you, uh, many, if not most of them, had not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were only there for one of maybe two or three reasons. One was uh, to, to get whatever it was that Christ was going to give away that day. Uh, I remember the story of uh, the, uh, the five loaves and the two fish. And uh, the people were able to get fed that day. And so they came. But, but secondly, there are miracles being performed. Look with me in verse number uh, 20, um, 24, uh, 23 of chapter 4. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed of devils, and those which were a lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And I'm not trying to be sacrilegious about what Christ did. What Christ did was miracles. What the multitude perceived Christ to do was entertainment. They looked at Christ and they thought, I wonder when the next show is. And they came to Christ because they could gain things materially from Him and because they could be entertained by Him. Now take a minute to think that through. Look at the teaching of most of the Word of Faith movements out there today. These mega churches. And by the way, the multitudes come, don't they? They came in Christ's day, didn't they? You start teaching a health, wealth, and prosperity, a name it and claim it type of a faith. And you're going to find people that are coming for no other reason than to get something from, from, their, from their teaching. How many times have you heard on the television or you've heard taught in these, these churches that are like this, that if you'll just sow your seed, you'll have all this money and all this wealth. You won't have to worry about your bills anymore. You won't have to be sick anymore. You won't have to worry about your car payment or your utility bill or your car. God doesn't want you to be poor. God wants you to be wealthy. God wants you to be healthy. And they teach these things. That's the same thing these multitudes were coming to Christ for. They also were coming for the entertainment. They wanted to see the miracles. These things were supernatural. These were things that were not being done in that day. And how many times do we find people coming to our churches today in these these healing services that these people put on for no other reason than, boy, that's an exciting service. I really came away from there. I enjoyed that. No, our spirit didn't enjoy that. Our flesh did. It really liked it a lot. And so we have the multitudes. The multitudes are there not not trying to be changed. They don't want to be changed. They want what they can get from it. They're selfish. They're self-centered. This is what I want. Disciples are the other kind. Notice verse number 1 of chapter 5, and seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Disciples are different, aren't they? The difference between the multitudes and the disciples were this. The disciples, first and foremost, 
wanted to be changed. They wanted Christ to do a transforming work in their life. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because in chapter number 4, when Christ came walking on the Sea of Galilee, He tells them this, Follow me and I will what? Make you. Those two words are all you need. They were seeking to be changed. It's interesting that when a person is seeking for God to change them, that they are willing to pay the price. When Jesus called these disciples, look with me, if you will, back in chapter number 4, verse number 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway, and they straightway what? Left their nets. It cost them something. And followed him. Look in verse 21. And going on from thence, he saw two uh, other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And they what? Immediately left the ship and their... There's four fishermen here. Are we getting the picture? This, these are not men who like to fish, like Brother Jim Beezer. These are men whose livelihoods were fishing. They ate, slept, and drank fishing. This was what they did. They loved it. It was their life. It's what they did with all of their life, with all of their gusto, with all of their efforts. These are the things that they loved the most and had such a strong hold on. These were the things they would go to town and brag about, how big was your fish? Mine was this big, you know, and we do that today when we fish sometimes. How many did you catch in your nets tonight? This 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 time? How long were you out? How's your boat doing? You got I got a twenty-one footer. I got a twenty-three footer. These are things you understand. These men's lives revolved around fishing, and they were willing to pay the price to be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is what makes a disciple. They were willing to pay the price. I'm not telling you today that you need to go home and sell your car or sell your boat. What I am saying is you need to be willing to surrender that which you love the most in your life so that you may gain what Christ can do for you. There are some other teachings of Scripture that I believe show men that have done this before. The Apostle Paul, I believe, was certainly this way. Look with me. Hold your place here in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to come back in just a moment. But would you look with me in Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3. And, and, and folks, I, I, you know, there's, I understand you hear my voice every week. You hear it sometimes three or four times a week. And sometimes it gets tiring. I understand I don't have the best speaking voice. And sometimes we can get what's called listener fatigue. <laughs> That means I've, I've, it drones in my ear. It drones on and on. And while I hear, I'm not listening. Can I beg of you for the next couple of moments, do not hear it. Listen to it for a moment. 
Listen to what God's Word says. This, folks, is so, so critical. Philippians chapter number 2, if you will. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 3. Let's look at verse number 3. Paul writes this, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is the law in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me. Are you seeing this? These are the things Paul loved. These were the things Paul's life revolved around. He says, those things I count but what? Loss. Why? Christ? What's he saying? I want what Christ can do in my life more than these things that I love so much. It's amazing to me how things get such a hold on us. Things that, that we love, that we would... And it doesn't matter what comes along. I'm not giving this up. You can take everything else, Lord, but this area you leave alone and don't touch it. Not a disciple. Disciple is one who says, that which I love the most, I don't even consider it a gain. I count it but loss. I'll throw it to the side in a heartbeat if I can gain Christ. If I can become like Him. If I can have my life molded into something that brings joy to my Savior, then I will gladly toss everything else aside. Notice what else he says here in verse number 8, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and to count them but dung, that I may win Christ. That's a disciple. Jesus, as He prepares His disciples to serve in ministry, He preaches a three-chapter message to His disciples, knowing that they have willingly laid aside that which they loved, so that He could change them. God doesn't save us only so that we can go to heaven and have eternal life. God changes us so we can become His disciples. So that we can willingly lay down that which is most precious and say, gladly will I seek after Your Excellency Christ. I want to be like You. Look with me in Romans chapter 12 for a moment. Romans chapter number 12. Paul writes this again and again. If anybody understands the cost of discipleship, I think the uh, discipleship, I think the Apostle Paul does. 
I beseech you, verse number 1, chapter 12 of Romans, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. And he's not talking about just laying down a physical hand that has strength in it. When he's talking about our bodies, he's talking about our flesh, that which we love. You understand, we love our bodies. We love the things that it loves to have. To be able to take all that this body represents, the mind, the, the emotion, the, the uh, personality, the talents of it, the strength of it, to lay that down. And notice he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transformed. A disciple is not a part of the multitude. The multitude comes because they can get something. Because it'll fill my pocket. They come because, boy, that's exciting. Boy, did you see what he did? You ought to come next week and let's see what he does next week. That's what the multitude does. A disciple, a disciple says, I want him to change me. I love what I see in him. And I want to be like that. And I am willing to take that which I hold most dear in my life and cast it away that I may gain this. I remember as a kid growing up, I lived on a little house, a little house, 704L Rancho Drive in Fort Pierce, Florida. It's a little city, city block, a bunch of cookie-cutter houses down the road. And at the end of our street, uh, they had a little convenience center, and then somebody had bought a piece of property behind it, and they built one of the first strip malls I had ever seen, one of those plazas that has the, you know, all the shops and office spaces in it and stuff. I remember when they built that, and uh, I was so excited. My uncle, who had retired from the military, when we would visit him on the base, I'd get to sit in the helicopters and sit in some of the Army equipment, and he'd be in his green you know, fatigues and stuff, and I loved that kind of stuff growing up. I mean, I just loved it. I was so excited that when they got that completed at the end of my road, they put all four branches of the military recruiting stations down at the end of my street. And, man, I couldn't get down there quick enough. I rode my bike down. I walked in there one day. I was so scared. I was about eight, nine years old. I didn't know what I was going to do or say. I just walked in. And uh, these recruiters, they were so gracious, you know, because they were thinking, you know, ten years from now I'll be in the military probably. But they were treating me nice, and they'd talk with me. They, they were kind of slow. <clears throat> and it was interesting. The first day I ever went there, they, they thanked me for coming, and they went to the back room, and they got me some stickers, Army and Navy and Air Force. And I uh, went home, and I told my friends, I said, man, you're not going to believe. Look at all these stickers I got. And man, we started making it almost a daily trip down there during the summer. We'd go down every day. What do you got today? You got some more stickers? Got more pencils? We went because of what we were getting. I, I loved it. I, I remember looking at that and saying, I, I love to see their uniforms. Man, they looked sharp, especially the Marine uniform. Man, it looked really nice. And I liked that. I was, I was impressed by that. There were things that I looked at that I enjoyed about the military. It's amazing to me how many times when people join the military, they're tired of mom and dad telling them what to do. I've been amazed to see how many of them say, I don't want God to ever tell me what to do either. They look at the military and they like the product. 
that has turned out. Men that are disciplined. They look sharp. Maybe they like the weapons that they use. Maybe they like the, 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 the battle gear that they wear. And they go to boot camp. I don't know a guy yet. Oh, he may have done it jokingly or he may have tried to do it. But I don't know a guy yet that came into boot camp and changed the military to fit his style. You go into it knowing that the military is going to change you. It's amazing how many men, and I'm thankful for our military, how many men, how many women, young women, go into the military and they willingly pay whatever the cost is for them to change them. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we are not willing to pay whatever the cost to be changed by God. I never cease to be amazed by that. For we are in a far more important battle every day of our lives. There are times I worry about things in the world as far as other countries and wars and things that go on. I say worry. There are things I'm concerned with. Can I tell you this? If we understood the severity of spiritual battling and spiritual warfare every day, we would be willing to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be willing to lay aside whatever it is that we hold most dear. The Bible talks about, and Jesus taught this, He said, a man that will keep his life shall lose it. But a man who will lose his life for my sake shall find it. We're getting ready to look into, over the next several weeks, Lord willing, some teaching that Christ does on the issue of discipleship. I would encourage us in this that we need to be willing to be disciples. That as we study the pages of chapters 5 and 6 and 7 in the book of Matthew, that we say, Lord, I am willing to be a disciple. Look in verse number 1. I want you to notice a couple things that had to happen for them to be a disciple. The Bible says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. There are two things I find in this verse that these disciples, in order to be discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ, had to do. Number one, they had to separate themselves from the multitude. They had to separate themselves from the multitude. Christ was a master teacher. Christ taught at the level of the person He was speaking to. To the multitude, He taught them the things that they needed to hear. We could probably call it the milk of the Word, if you will, because they're not saved yet. They don't have the spiritual discernment. But when it came to the inner circle, when it came to the disciples, when it came to the ones that were willing to pay a price to be transformed by the truth that Christ was going to teach them, then Christ delved into some deeper things, some meatier things. And in order for the disciples to be discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ, there had to be a coming out from the multitude and saying, we're not going to be like them, we're going to pay the price. 
we're going to be willing to lay, lay aside anything else. I remember, I remember growing up uh, when I was <clears throat> in sixth and seventh grade. Uh, sixth grade, I, I, I couldn't wait to be in seventh grade because in seventh grade we could play high school sports, junior high and high school sports. We had a JV and a varsity team in our school, and I loved basketball. I was not good at it at all. My seventh grade year, sixth grade year, I was not good at it. But I went out for the team. And we were a, a Christian school, a, a pretty good-sized one. But uh, we, you, had to, you had to make the team. They did have a few cuts. But I made it in, and I, I look back now, and I really do think it's because my dad was the pastor of the church that had the school that I made it. But I made the team my seventh grade year. And, uh, and I set the bench the entire season. I think I made it into one game for just a few seconds at the end of the game. I didn't like that. Man, I wanted to be out there. There were times our team was struggling and losing. I'd think, man, if the coach would just put me in, I could do this, 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 and this, and we'd win. But the coach knew better. He knew I wasn't that skilled and that good. I didn't like that. That summer they had a sports camp, and they, they were teaching. Uh, they had some guys come in to help teach basketball. And I remember signing up for the camp, and I went there, and there was probably about 15, 20 of the guys there. and they, We had three coaches there that summer. And they were teaching us and going through the drills. And they would have talks with us sometimes. And they'd sit us on the bleachers. I was sitting there. I mean, I wanted to get good. I didn't want to sit the bench again. I, I was working hard. I was running hard. and I was working on my drills and trying to get better and trying to get better. I remember sitting there on the bleachers. And some of these guys that, that were good, I don't know if they just had natural talent or if they were born with a basketball in their hand or something, but they weren't listening they would sit up there and they would talk among themselves and they would cut up jokes and different things. And I remember sitting by some of them that were supposedly my friends, my quote-unquote friends. And I remember sitting there, one on each side, and they're talking across me to each other. And I'm trying to listen. I'm trying to see what the coach is saying. And I looked over at him, and I'll never forget this. I said, guys, be quiet. I'm trying to hear. And they kind of chuckled and laughed and they kept cutting up. And I said, come on, fellas. I, I can't I can't follow what they're saying. I got and I remember thinking this. I can't I can't sit here and get what I need to get. I remember standing up and stepping away from my friends and going down to the other end of the bleachers and sitting down away from them, so that I could listen to what the coach was saying. Folks, there's going to be some times that we're going to have to separate ourselves from the clutter of those that are around us. There's going to have to be some times that we come out from those things and say, Lord, I want it to be just you and I. It may cost me some acquaintances. It may cost me some friends. It may cost me some socializing and some fellowship. But I would rather have Christ change me than that. It may take coming out from the multitudes. The second thing I want you to notice is it took some work. Look in verse 1. The Bible says he went up into a mountain. You ever climb a mountain? <coughs> they didn't have the Chattanooga the rail car. When you went up a mountain, you had to walk up the mountain. I don't know about you, but as I've gotten older, I don't do mountains so well. It's all I can do to do the hump in my driveway over here. I don't do mountains so well. But notice that these men were willing to put forth the effort to come to Christ. 
I'm thankful Christ seeks for us for salvation. But it is us that need to seek Him for discipleship. Don't miss that point. I think sometimes we think when we get saved, God will just, it'll happen. I'll be discipled just as we go along through the Christian life. No, it takes an effort. It takes a purposing in the heart. It takes a person saying, Lord, I need to make sure that I have some time with you. And it may take some effort to cause that to happen. And it may take some cost for that to happen. But I'm going to come to you for discipleship. I want to know what you have to say. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at what Christ now tells these disciples. I'm thankful God knows our hearts in spite of our actions. But I want you to realize that these disciples' hearts were such that it drove them to these actions. They were willing to pay the price. To give that which they love the most. They didn't even think for a moment. It was not even a choice for them. Because it says immediately and straightway. You know, I've known people... Let me rephrase that. I have been one of them and also known people that have sat there and struggled with Christ. I've played the tug of war with Him in my life. Lord, I know You want this, but I, I just don't know if I can, I can give it up. I don't know if I can do that. A true disciple is one who says, Lord, whatever it is, however much there is in my life that I love, that I cling to, I'm willing to give all of that that I can, that I can be changed and transformed by the teachings of Christ. I hope we'll keep that thought in mind as we look into the pages over the next several weeks. Because there's going to come some teaching in here that, to be real frank with you, is going to cost us if we're going to be true disciples. There's going to be some teaching in the next three chapters that we're going to have to change some things if we're going to be true disciples. And I hope you'll come and hear those messages. I think it would be a wonderful thing if here at the onset, at the very beginning before we ever even begin to look at the teachings, to say, Lord, I want to be like these disciples. And here at the onset, Lord, I am willing to give everything that I hold dear that I may win Christ. That I may know You and the power of Your resurrection and the fellowship of Your suffering we would become more like Him. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is what God wishes every Christian would be like. And I hope we're willing to take it as that. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word.
as we look into these pages, Lord, it's kind of an introductory message today. But Lord, there need to probably be quite a few decisions made for you in this hour. That Lord, even before we begin looking into these things that you've taught, we're already going to say yes, Lord. Lord, 